How many of you played the game Simon Says? All right. All of us have, right? At some point we've played the game Simon Says. Simon Says, touch your nose. Let's do it. I'm Simon for a moment, okay? Touch your nose. Right? Simon Says, touch your head. Touch your head. Simon Says, touch your nose again. Simon Says, touch your head. Touch your nose. Oh. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Jesus says. And somehow, like Francis Chan in the video says, that somehow some of us are completely content if we live life as a disciple of Jesus and never make another disciple. Even though Jesus says it. And you need to look back on your life if you're here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and you need to ask yourself the question, have I truly made another disciple of Jesus? I mean, Jesus consumed his life with making disciples. And he literally gave his life to make disciples of all nations. And so then it would make sense for those of us that are following Jesus to consume our lives with the very thing that consumed his life, which is making more disciples of him. This morning we are concluding a teaching series that we've called One Plus One Equals Another One. And we've been looking at an event in Jesus' life as recorded to us by one of his disciples named Matthew. And if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, at the very conclusion of his biography of Jesus, because really that's what the Gospels are. If you're new to the Bible, the Gospels are just simply their biographies about Jesus, written by men that followed Jesus, so spent time with Jesus. They heard Jesus teach. They saw Jesus do miracles. They saw him die. They saw him come back to life. And so the gospel of Matthew is simply a biography about Jesus written by one of the guys that followed him. His name is Matthew. And so Matthew records for us at the very conclusion of his biography of Jesus. Jesus has died. Jesus has come back to life. And now he appears to his disciples on a mountainside, and he gives them this final mission. He's just moments away from ascending back to heaven, and he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. As I leave, here's what I want you to consume your lives with. And we pick it up in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And you can follow along with me if you would. Matthew writes, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and he said this, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. On this mountainside, Jesus looks at his made disciples, those that have spent three, definitely three years with him, 
maybe three years and several months and have watched him live his life and he looks at them and he's moments away from going back to heaven and he says, here's what I want you to give your life to. Here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to go. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to go throughout the entire world and I want you to tell people about me, about what I've done for people. I want you to tell them how I lived. I want you to tell them how I died. I want you to tell them how I came back to life. And he gives them this mission. And in summary, he's just saying this. He's saying, listen, if you call yourself, if you're going to follow me, what you need to consume your life with is making another disciple. Make another one. And you know what we find these made disciples in the first century hearing this from Jesus? You know what we find them doing? We find them doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They live the rest of their lives making disciples of Jesus. The book of Luke records for us the first 30 years of the first century church. And what Luke records for us is these guys who are standing on this mountainside with Jesus doing exactly what Jesus told them. They live their lives making disciples of Jesus. And really the mission and vision that we see these disciples carrying out is this. We see them as made disciples of Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. They're knowing Christ. They're getting to know him. And then they move out. They're living Jesus out. They're making Jesus known. And then they're making new disciples of Jesus. And then what happens is they come together and they form multiplying church communities. They, they get together in places like Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians comes from. They get together in cities like Philippi. That's where the, the, the letter to the Philippians comes from. And so you get these believers together, these disciples of Jesus, and they start forming gatherings, church gatherings to continue living out the mission and the vision that Jesus has given to them. So what we see in first century church is the group of made disciples of Jesus who are knowing Jesus, moving out like Jesus, making new disciples of Jesus, and they gather together and they form multiplying church communities, and it turns the world upside down. They turn the world upside down. They do exactly what Jesus told them to do here in Matthew chapter 28. And so this mission that Jesus gave these made disciples in the first century hasn't changed for those of us who are his disciples in the 21st century. It's the same. It hasn't changed. And so our mission is the very same mission that he gave them, which is as made disciples to be moving out, telling people the good news of Jesus, making new disciples and coming together, forming multiplying communities that are telling people about Jesus all over the world. That's our mission. So how do we do this? If you're here and you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a made disciple, where do we start? Well, as we've discovered over these past couple months, looking at this passage in Matthew, we start exactly where the first made disciples start. In verse 16, they started with what? Worshiping Jesus. If you're going to make a disciple of Jesus, you need to know Jesus personally. And that's what they did. They worshiped Jesus. And then they... Jesus tells them in verse 19, therefore, go. So we see them worshiping Jesus. We see them going all over the place, telling people the good news of who Jesus is. And they do it with the authority of Jesus in verse 18. They do it with the presence of Jesus in verse 20. And as people repent and turn from their sin and become a disciple of Jesus, we see them baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And we say, the mission's over, right? Not yet. Not yet. There's one final step that Jesus gives when it comes to making another one. There's one final step. If you're a made disciple of Jesus here this morning, there's one other step in this process 
of making another disciple. And Jesus tells us what this step is in verse 20. Look at it. Jesus says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey. You see, making new disciples of Jesus or making another one involves teaching disciples to obey Jesus. Teaching disciples to obey Jesus. This is what he said for us to do. This is the mission of the church. So Jesus is saying that part of making another one is teaching. It's teaching. And the word that Jesus uses here for teaching literally means to hold a discourse or to have a formal discussion on a particular subject, to give an instruction, to act like a teacher, to be a teacher, to give an explanation. Examples of this word when it's used in Scripture is to describe when Jesus would teach in the synagogues or teach in the temple. And so that tells me one thing that wrapped up in this word teaching is a formal type of teaching, kind of like what we're doing this morning. I would consider this kind of a formal teaching where we're gathering together, hearing a talking head like me kind of talk about the Bible. That's kind of a formal teaching, and I think that's wrapped up into this word that Jesus gives. But it was also the same word that would use to describe the first century disciples of Jesus and how they would go house to house. We have what we call living communities here at Living Church where we meet in homes And we teach the Bible in our homes. And that's kind of an informal teaching, house to house. And we see that in the New Testament. And that's what we're trying to do here as living church. So this teaching has a formal sense to it, has an informal sense to it. And also this word has a continuous process meaning to it. In a sense, Jesus is saying, class with me is always in session. And the buzzer, there is no buzzer that goes off and says, you're done with this class, please move on to the next one. Jesus says, no, when you're walking with me and when you're teaching people how to follow me, class is always in session. And so as a made disciple, part of our ministry, part of our responsibility is to teach formally, to teach informally, and to continuously teach about Jesus. Don't we see that, though, in the life of Jesus? The Sermon on the Mount. Formal setting of teaching. Hundreds, possibly thousands on the hillside, Jesus stands and gives the most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. But then we see also Jesus in, in teaching informally. There was a day when he and his disciples were walking through the grain fields and the disciples picked grain and that was, by tradition, unlawful for them to do. So the religious leaders come along and they say, what are you guys doing? They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And Jesus says, wait a second. So he approaches the religious leaders and he says, you got this thing all wrong. This is what it really means. And so he uses a very informal setting when they're just walking along the road picking grain. And he uses that as a teachable moment to teach people about truly what the Sabbath is all about. So Jesus taught formally. Jesus taught informally. And he taught continuously. Did he not teach by example the washing of the feet of the disciples? In John 13, he says, I have set you an example. He would teach by stories, giving parables, the farmer and the seed. And he would teach by trusting and releasing his disciples to carry on the mission, sometimes sending them out two by two. Jesus' teaching was always constant, and it involved all of his life. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus called the first disciples, it says this, he called them so that they might be with him. It's a life thing, teaching People, how to follow Jesus is a life thing. My dad was a good teacher. 
he was a very good teacher. And I remember times in life when he would teach, teach me formally and he would teach me informally. Let me share with you an example when he taught me formally. It was my junior year in high school. And I was dating a young lady at the time. And my parents had no idea that I was dating this young lady. And that was on purpose. Because I knew that my mom and dad knew that I was dating this young lady. They would not have anything with it. So I was intentional about not revealing to them that I was dating this young lady. So I am way past curfew. It's a Friday night. And I'm at this young lady's home. It is after midnight. We are playing games with her family. Their phone rings. I'm sitting there going, how odd, after midnight, how rude that someone would call their home after midnight. They pick up the phone. On the other end is my dad. They say, the phone's for you. Why, I'm sure, I just like, (laughs) you know, everything just, I'm done. All right, nice knowing you guys. Here's all the things you need to know. Here's, this goes to this person. This goes to, here's my will, all this stuff. So dad says, get home now. Okay, hang up the phone. I get in the car, drive home. I don't know if this was intentional, but all the lights are off in my home when I pull in the drive. I'm sure it was intentional. All of them are off. I pull in the driveway. I just sit there in the car. I'm either going to die or I'm going to be in solitary confinement for the rest of my natural life. Those are the only two options. And so I sit in the car, collect myself a little bit, and I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to argue with them. And what happens is I walk into the room, into the, I open the front door, and it's, it's completely dark. I haven't asked them to this day why, if that was intentional or not. But it was completely dark, and my mom's sitting on the couch, and she just immediately, you know, and all this starts going off of me, which I deserved. And dad, dad didn't say a ton, but when he spoke, you listened. You listened, and he said, Nancy, it's my mom's name. Nancy, it's enough. My mom just, you know, she's a little fireball. She gets up, walks out of the room, and, and there's silence, right? And my dad says, sit down. What do I do? I sit down. Still dark. They never turn on the lights. I don't know if they were going to do something to me and didn't want anybody to see it or what. So at that time, my dad comes alongside and actually begins to teach me in a very formal way what I needed to learn as a young man and what I had done to them as their son, the fear that I had caused them, how they were greatly concerned for me, the deceit that I had communicated to them through my, through my choices. My dad was a good teacher. He taught me formally. And sometimes as made disciples of Jesus, we need to come alongside other disciples and we need, we need to teach them formally. We need to say we need to talk because there's some things that I'm seeing in your life right now that concern me because you, the choices you're making are not consistent with who Jesus is. And you're t- telling me that you're following Jesus. And so there's times when we need to have a formal teaching with disciples to help them follow Jesus. But there's also times we need to teach informally. My dad, I remember another time, I was deceitful again, and I was down in my bedroom, and my dad comes down, knocks on the door, comes in the bedroom, and just sits down on the bed with me. And just out of love says, son, I'm, I'm, I love you. I, I'm just really concerned for you. It wasn't a formal sit down kind of thing in the dark. This one had the lights on, thankfully. 
And he just begins to share with me how much he's concerned for me, how much he loves me, and begins to just say, here's some things that I think we need to work on. And sometimes as made disciples, we need to teach formally. We need to come alongside one another. And we need to say, hey, I love you. I love what I'm seeing in you. But there's some things here that I'm concerned about. We need to allow people to do that to us. We need to receive that. If we're truly going to follow Jesus, that's what teaching looks like. My dad would tell stories about how he grew up as a kid and things. Please don't ever do this. You know, don't be like me in this area, those kinds of things. So when it comes to teaching, what Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to truly tell people about me, you need to teach them formally, you need to teach them informally, and it's continuous. You need to come alongside one another and encourage each other as you walk with the Lord. You need to come alongside one another and correct each other if you're making choices that aren't pleasing to Jesus because it's for your own protection so that you can continue to follow Jesus. So teaching, it involves teaching. Making new disciples, Jesus says, is going to involve teaching. Well, what do we teach? What's the curriculum? Jesus reveals to us the curriculum. That when it comes to you as a main disciple teaching a new disciple about Jesus, he reveals the curriculum. Here it is. Look, he says, and teaching them to obey what? Everything I have commanded you. That's the curriculum. That's what you're to teach. You're to teach people about Jesus. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If we're teaching them to be a disciple of Jesus, it makes sense that we would teach them about Jesus. We would teach them what Jesus says. Well, where do we find what Jesus says? In the book that's about Jesus. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3.16, he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians chapter 3. So what Paul's telling us there is Christ has a word. Well, where do we find this word? In what Christ has said. Well, where do we find what Christ has said? In the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, referencing the Old Testament, the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, and the New Testament letters. They're all written to point the church to Jesus. So if you're going to teach, if Jesus is the curriculum, what we need to teach are the words of Jesus. We need to teach the book that's about Jesus, and it's called the Bible. Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus himself revealed from beginning with Moses and the prophets, telling those disciples that he was speaking with him on that road, he was saying, listen, I want to tell you, the, Mo- the Old Testament's all about me, Jesus said. It's all about me. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, then from Matthew all the way to the end of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the curriculum He's what you need to be teaching. Remember in college, usually the first day of a new class was the day when they would hand out the syllabus. You know, it was one of those days where it just was an overwhelming day. I mean, you'd get the syllabus and you're just like, oh, man, are you serious? And I got to get this done. And when and how much and how long? I little all this stuff. When it comes to the course of following Jesus, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, The curriculum, the syllabus is Jesus. And so you're standing in the classroom or you're sitting in the classroom of being a disciple of Jesus. Who walks in to teach it? Jesus does. And he says, hey, there's no syllabus here. I'm not going to give you this 500-page document and all this reading stuff. He's like, here's what you need to do. You need to just be with me. You need to just get to know me. You need to just follow me. You need to read about who I am. You need to be reading about what I've said, and you need to follow me. Jesus is not only the teacher in this course of making disciples. He's also the curriculum. He's also the syllabus. 
And isn't that what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2.2? He spent a year and a half with a group of Christians in a city called Corinth. And he said, I resolved when I was with you to know nothing else among you other than Jesus and him crucified. That's it. It's all Jesus. That's what, what Paul taught was the curriculum of Jesus. So what does this look like? If you're a made disciple of Jesus, whether you're a parent or, or, or a mom and you want your kids to know who Jesus is or a grandparent or a single guy, single lady, and you want your roommates to know of Jesus or you, you want those that you go to work with to know about Jesus, what's this look like to teach the curriculum of Jesus? Well, it comes back to Jesus said. Jesus said. Jesus said, Husbands, you need to love your wives like I've loved the church. Jesus said. That's what it looks like to teach. So we're going to teach that husbands need to love their wives as Christ loved the church because that's what Jesus said. It looks like teaching wives to love and respect their husbands as the church is to love and respect Christ. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. And we're to obey all that Jesus has commanded. It looks like teaching dads to model to their boys what it looks like to be a man of self-control, patient, a man of responsibility, and loving strong as Christ was with his disciples. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. And it looks like teaching women and girls that your greatest security will not be found in a relationship, but it will be found in Jesus, because that's what Jesus says. And it looks like teaching our men and our boys that Serving others and following through on our commitments, even when it's hard, is something we need to follow through on because Christ followed through on his greatest commitment and led him to the cross because Jesus said. And it looks like teaching our children to obey their moms and dads because even Christ obeyed his father, and that's what Jesus said. It looks like teaching to forgive like Jesus, to love our enemies like Jesus because that's what Jesus said. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's what it looks like to teach the curriculum of Jesus. And it looks like this. Jesus said, go make another one. And so it looks like a group of made disciples that are going out making another one because Jesus said. But are we like Francis Chan's daughter in that video? Do we just hear it and we go home and we memorize it? We can speak it in so many different languages and yet we never do it? What are you teaching? Parents, what are you teaching? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what are you teaching your kids? You're teaching them something. Are you teaching them about Jesus? He's the curriculum. Husbands, what are you teaching your wives by your example, by how you talk to them, how you speak with them? Are you showing them Jesus? Because he's the curriculum. Wives, what are you showing your husbands by how you talk to them and how you speak with them? Are you showing them Jesus? We're teaching something. We're always teaching something. And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to ask ourselves honestly, are we teaching people Jesus? Are you showing them Jesus in the workplace, if you're a single guy here, what are you showing your roommates, how you live, what you're looking at online, those kinds of things? Are you showing them Jesus? Are you teaching them about Christ by your words and by your life? Because that's what it looks like. And as made disciples, we come alongside one another and we say, listen, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. I love you. I want to come alongside you and I want to help you 
love like Jesus. I want to help you live like Jesus. Making new disciples is all about teaching everything that Christ has commanded. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? What's he say? Is it good enough just for us to teach? What's he say? He says, teaching them to what? Obey. Obey. Teaching people to obey Jesus. This is the part we just don't like. We don't like people telling us what to do. We just don't. But Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, I've told you some things, and you need to do it. And you need to do it. I mean, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Not just the man who hears it, but the man who hears it and does it. He's the one who has a strong foundation. He has a strong foundation. So Jesus is saying, listen, when it comes to teaching people how to follow me, you need to teach them that, one, I'm the curriculum, and obedience to me is the goal. And obedience to me is the goal. Jesus modeled obedience for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, and he describes Jesus, and he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed his Father, and that obedience led him to his death on the cross. And because of Jesus' obedience, you now, right now in this moment, can be completely forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, because he obeyed. Not because he needed to obey, but because he wanted to obey out of love for his Father and his love to set you free from your sin, and so that you could be with him and follow him forever. And if you watch, if you read about the first century disciples of Jesus, did they walk around going, man, this Jesus thing, oh, Man, it's so hard obeying Jesus. Man, I wish I would have never chosen to follow Jesus. Man, all these stuff he's asking me to do, there's so much. This Jesus guy, good grief. He has to do this and this and this and this. Here's the scroll. Do this. I'm like, oh, are you serious? Do, do you read that about them? When I read the first century disciples, you know what I see? I don't see a drudgery to obey Jesus. I see a privilege. It's a, it was a privilege for these made disciples to follow the one who was obedient to the cross. And every time they obeyed Jesus, it reflected back to Christ's obedience on the cross. So listen to me. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, every time you obey Jesus, you know what it does? It reflects the cross. It reflects the cross. Every time you, you obey, every time you do what Christ has called you to do, you're reflecting what Jesus has done for you on the cross. See, for the person that follows Jesus, obedience is worship. It's worship. It's not a drudgery. It's worship. Worship of Jesus. So this led me to ask the question, so how is obeying Jesus any different from obeying any other religion? How is obeying him different? Well, I want to show you, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Titus. It's near the back. Titus chapter 3. Very key and important passage here to help us see the difference between following Jesus and following some other religion. And to actually show that Jesus isn't a religion at all. Because you don't follow a set of rules, you follow him. You follow him. But the motivation for following him is so different. So different. I want you to look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. 
Paul is writing, Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete, and he says this to Titus. He says, at one time, Titus, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Catch the next phrase. He saved us because of the things you did, because of the things I did. No, he says he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. Because of his love, he saved us. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been now justified, meaning now you're right with God because of his grace in your life, we become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, Titus. I don't want you to stress these things so that those who have already trusted in God may be careful then to devote themselves to doing what is good. Do you see the difference? Jesus here through Paul writing to Titus says, listen, obedience to me, I don't obey Jesus to earn Jesus' love. I obey Jesus to express my love for the love he's already given me. That's the difference. So what he's saying is those who've already received the love of Christ out of gratitude for receiving the love of Christ, now you obey. Now you obey. As it says on the screen, obedience to Christ is a result of already receiving the forgiving love of Christ. Whereas religion says, I obey to hopefully earn God's acceptance, Jesus says, you could never earn my acceptance. Jesus says, so that's why I came to you, died on the cross for you, and so when you receive my love, my forgiveness, you want to obey me because you realize what you were like without me, and I came and rescued you, and now you want to obey me. Not to earn my love, but to express your love to me for what I've already done for you. Obedience is a result of having already received the love of Christ. And then in John 14, 15, let me just quote it for you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus is saying, "If obedience to me is truly an expression of your love for me. So obedience for those who follow Jesus is worship. That has flipped obedience for me in such a marvelous way. So when you have to make a choice as a disciple, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to obey Jesus or not? You have to ask, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to worship Jesus. <laughs> so I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do because I love Jesus. I'm so thankful because of what he went, his obedience, what took him to the cross. And so now I'm going to obey him. I'm going to worship him out of gratitude for what he's done for me. Let me give you an example. Imagine my five-year-old little Kate five-year-old daughter. She comes up to me and she says, Daddy, I drew you the most beautiful picture in all the world. It's so incredibly awesome. I love it. you got to read it. Or you got to see this. I spent so much time on it. It's awesome. you just got to see it. And so she comes up to me. She hands me this picture. I bend down on one knee. I said, Kate, thank you so much for this beautiful picture. Wow, you didn't have to do this. She's like, well, yeah, I did. You had to do this for me? Yeah. You see, Mommy told me that if I wanted to have a sleepover at Hallie's house, that I had to draw you a picture and give it to you. That's religious obedience. We do something to get something in return for ourselves. 
religious obedience is very self-motivated. I'm doing something so that I can hopefully get something in return that I want or that I need. That's religious obedience. Here's the same scenario, different. Kate draws me the same picture. Okay, same exact scenario. I get down on one knee. I say, Kate, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving this picture. So awesome. It's so beautiful. All the colors. Thank you. You didn't have to do this. And she says, Daddy, I just wanted to draw you this picture because you're the most awesomest daddy ever. And you provide for us and you care for us. And we don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be part of this family or anything. And I just want to draw this picture just because I love you. See the difference? See the difference? And so many of us live our lives in hope, in hope that God will accept our obedience and he'll in return give us his love. And God says, no, 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 that's not how I did it. I sent Jesus to you and you simply receive him and what he did for you on the cross and his salvation, his forgiveness of sins. And when you receive me, you receive my love. And now when you receive me, now you want to obey me out of gratitude for what I've already done for you. That's the difference. Tim Keller, who wrote, uh, has written several books. He's a pastor up in Manhattan in New York City. He put together kind of a, a contrast, if you will, between religion and the gospel, religion and Jesus. And we have them on the information table. I want to encourage each person here to grab this because it's so incredibly great. And he says this, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Jesus says, you're already accepted, therefore obey. Religion says, the motivation is based on fear and insecurity and hopes to get something that you want or need. Following Jesus says, no, your motivation to obey is purely based on gratitude for what he's done for us. Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God. Jesus says, no, you obey simply to be with me. Simply out of gratitude for what I've done for you. A religion says my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. Jesus says, no, 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 your identity and self-worth are centered on me and what I did for you on the cross. Your identity is not something you try to find. It's something you receive through what Christ has given to you, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. You see, obedience, obeying Christ is worship, and we have got to teach this. When you're making new disciples of Jesus, we've got to communicate to our kids. We've got to communicate to others. We've got to communicate to those we're teaching to follow Jesus. No, you obey Jesus as an expression of love for him, not to get something from him. And so what does teaching disciples to obey Jesus look like? Here's what it looks like. Jesus says, go make disciples. So you know what it looks like? looks like a church that's making disciples. looks like a church that's going out telling people about Jesus because they look at Jesus and they go, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for bringing me into your family, and I, I want other people to know that too. I want other people to receive that message. Jesus said, husbands, love your wives, so it looks like husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus said, wives, love and honor your husbands, so it looks like wives loving and honoring your husbands because Jesus didn't say, just teach them everything I've commanded you. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And Jesus said, you need to forgive those that have hurt you and trespassed against you as Christ has forgiven us. Jesus says, you need to love your enemies. Jesus says, you need to believe in me for the forgiveness of sin. So it looks like people turn from their life of sin to Jesus. Listen, making new disciples of Jesus involves those of us who are made disciples teaching to obey Jesus.
Listen, Jesus firmly believes that the greatest need of your heart right now, as you sit here this morning, the greatest need of your heart is Jesus. He is who you need, greater than anything or anyone else in this world. He is what you need, and he is what this world needs. That's why he said, here's the mission, go and tell people about me, because I am who they need. And I believe firmly that we have so many people in church today who are trusting in their moralism, trusting in their own works, trusting in whatever it might be, everything other than receiving Christ's grace for the forgiveness of their sins. Becoming a disciple of Jesus begins when you first say, I can no longer meet the standard of God. You just admit that you can't. And Jesus says, that's why I came. And you just simply confess your sins before me, receive me, and I will change you from the inside out. That's where it all starts, to become a disciple of Jesus. So what now? What now? Well, there's three responses, I believe. Three responses as we wrap up this series. There's three responses, and each person in this room will fall into one of these responses. You will either refuse to become a disciple of Jesus. You'll just say, you know what, this Jesus thing, I'm hearing you, but I'm not there yet. So you will refuse to follow him. Or there are some of you here this morning that are going to say, you know what, wow, Jesus sets me free from that. Jesus forgives me freely. I don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. That's exactly what Jesus said. I just accept it. I just receive him. Absolutely. And that's where it starts to become a disciple of Jesus. Or third, you need to make another one. You fall in the category of making a disciple of Jesus. Making another one. So which is it for you? Which is it for you? Which is it? Simon says, Jesus says, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's all because of his love for us. So which is it? Will you become a disciple this morning if you're not? And if you are, will you make another one? Father, thank you for this time. Move in us now. Help us to respond to the truth that you have proclaimed through your word this morning. And God, my prayer this morning is that if there are people here, Lord, maybe they've grown up in church all their lives, but they have been trusting in themselves, their own works, their own moralism, Lord, to become right with you. I pray that right now in this moment they would confess that to you and they would call out to you and they would receive Jesus and his love for them. And for those of us that have received your love, Lord Jesus, help us now out of worship to you to make another one, to tell others about the great love that you have for them. Before I close in prayer, just kind of keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just quickly this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, Mark, I I walked in and I wasn't into the church thing or maybe I've been in the church thing all my life, but for the first time, my eyes have been opened that I have been trusting in me to make me right with God. But this morning, I realize I need to trust Jesus to make me right with God. And I want to become a disciple of Jesus this morning. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And I just want to give you the opportunity to say, that's me. I'm, I'm right now in this moment. I am confessing my sin before Jesus. I'm receiving his love, and I'm becoming a disciple of his this morning. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody looking around. Anybody like that this morning? Say, I'm becoming a disciple of Jesus this morning.
Amen. Anybody else? Anyone else? Say, I'm done with the religious thing. I'm, I'm following Jesus from here on out. Anyone else? Maybe you're hearing you say, you know what? Jesus, I know Jesus has told me to go make disciples, but I've been doing a poor job of it. And so this year, I am going to pray every day. I'm going to commit that through his grace and through his love, God would enable me to make another disciple of Jesus. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that here this morning? Just raise your hand. God, I pray that you would move us as a church. There are people around us who are hurting in desperate need of the love of Jesus and the love that he can give them. And I pray now that you would move us as a church to share that love with others. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please stand if you would.